Vinny, you like it when we plan the show on air sometimes, right? That is something that you like as a radio producer? That's when the radio nerd in me really comes out. Because I'm trying to figure out whether we should please the tease talking about Sam Darnold. Hmm. I'm also trying to figure out whether we should dive a little bit more into this Coach K cursing Wes Bryant situation (laughs) and I don't know which one we should talk about at the top of this 2 o'clock hour. Which one? You're the producer. You have the dynamic title. Which one should we do? I don't know. I was thinking we could do a little story time with Wes on a Friday. Okay. So that's I'm with it. So so now we need to please the tease for tomorrow, and you just made another one. Is that what I just heard? Yeah, because remember what I told you. If you can't, you know, don't tease if you can't please. Mm-hmm. So let's please the tease about Sam Darnold, and then what we'll even do, we'll promo that tomorrow on the show we're going to talk about Wes's interaction with Coach K. Awesome. And then we're going to get into it tomorrow on the show. Okay, perfect. Awesome. We're pleasing. We're teasing. It's Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The tease was Sam Darnold and what a win for him would do on Sunday if they do indeed beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We talked about this being such a huge game and it's one of the more meaningful games that the Carolina Panthers have had certainly in recent history. And then you can go to the postseason and you can talk a lot about one, a lot. So some people wrote in the 2015 game against Seattle on the road. I mean, that's always a regular season game. That's going to live in the famous history. That is some of the more meaningful games for Carolina. You can go to, you know, maybe that game against the saints where Carolina gets into the playoffs, despite being seven and nine. And that was one Dominic Hickson in the end zone. That was a monster game. And so that was really meaningful. And that's kind of, I, you know, if you're going to make a similar comparison, that might be it. Now, Cam Newton wasn't playing for his job. That was already locked and loaded going forward. Sam Darnold's been playing well. He has. They haven't asked him to do a whole lot. It's been absolutely predicated on your boy, Deontay Foreman, and the running game. The offensive line is clearly better this year than it was last year. Despite them not being a top-five unit, still night and day from what you were getting last year. What do you think this game means for Sam Darnold and his future NFL career, Wes? I think, like everything that we talk about here, depends on how he looks. Okay? Is he the catalyst for this win? Does Tampa Bay come out, rise up, shut down the Panthers' run game? And then he goes and goes off for 275 yards, three touchdowns or something like that, or or three or four total touchdowns. And is the guy, the reason that they win this game. Then I think that somewhat changes your thinking a little bit, but I think he has too much of a resume, too much of a body of work to know that if you commit to this long term, you know, it's like that girl, you might've been, you know, dating her casually for a while You've seen the bad in her, but the times that you guys hang out, I want to get too graphic, but the times that you guys hang out are great. We've already gone past and you that say, listen, <laughs> And you say, listen, I know if I get involved with this girl, this might not be good for me. And I think that's what Sam Donald is. I think that even if he does have a tremendous performance, I think it's a bit of fool's gold to where you don't want to commit long term. I think what it means is it's a guy that you can seriously look at as a viable backup quarterback or bridge quarterback for whatever guy you get in the draft because we feel pretty strongly they're going to get a quarterback. There's enough to go around, and I feel like they'll pick somebody. So I think that at the most, I think he comes out of this as a viable number two quarterback and a guy that, you know, you could depend on to win a couple of games if your main guy goes out or to be a bridge for the rookie that you bring in. Well, 
the last time Carolina and Tampa Bay played, it did a lot for P.J. Walker just this season. It allowed him another opportunity despite some QBs getting healthy. Number one overall pick in Baker Mayfield. Number three overall pick in Sam Darnold. They're on the roster. You traded for both of these guys, and yet it was P.J. when these guys were healthy that was getting the starting nod until it eventually started to fall off a little bit, and then you have Sam Darnold getting fully healthy. He comes back and then actually starts playing a little bit better this year. What do you think it does? Yeah, I think what it does for Sam Darnold is it allows him to put out some good tape and continue to have a fighting shot to start for an NFL team. It might be Carolina, but really, we're talking about him saving his career with this stretch of football. So Ben McAdoo, Steve Wilkes, whoever you want to give most of the credit to the way this offense has been operating, they are in charge, and what they've done is they are somewhat responsible for salvaging the career of one Sam. I mean, this guy was a third-string quarterback at one time. It'd be very interesting to see how this team would have operated had Matt Corral been healthy. So let's say he's healthy. Well, one, P.J. Walker wouldn't have stepped in, right? That's the remarkable part about him. P.J. gave us the single greatest performance we've seen from a quarterback in, what, five years post-Cam Newton against Tampa? What he did in that game was absolutely bananas. And when you see P.J. do that and then kind of fall off, okay, fine, you can move on because it's okay. But... Sam Darnold coming in and performing the way that he has resurrecting that career once again flashing the 3 and 0 potential that he had last year right when the Carolina Panthers start off, start off pretty well you know now there are going to be other teams in my opinion that are interested again you have two more games and there are some advanced stats that show you EPA per play like with the offense the way they're performing Sam Darnold is among the top QBs in the league since he's come back it's going to do a lot for him. Like this is a guy that maybe not would have been out of the league, but he wouldn't have gotten a starting job by any stretch of the imagination. Now I think there's a shot. Fiddy, I know you're eating Bojangles right now. You can give us an update on Bojangles. I know Sip you're drinking. Tea, that's yep. sweet tea. You're eating some chicken supremes, possibly. Don't know what you're going in on. <laughs> He's got a biscuit. No, okay. I got a biscuit, some cold soggy fries, sweet tea to drink. That is very sweet to say the least. Um, <laughs> It's going to go to you on your boy, Sam. Yeah, uh, I did want to pass along some sad news. Well, you could probably see it on the screen above you. Yes. Uh, Pele did pass away uh, like earlier this afternoon. We kind of knew this was coming. Um, you know, a, a, a fixture in Brazil, one of the greatest all-time uh, soccer players of all time. So a sad day for the soccer world, the country of Brazil. But for Sam Darnold. I've really gotten bought in on the idea that he's this team starting quarterback next year, unless Ooh. he just plays really, really bad the next few weeks. Because I think he's like I know that report came out from Mike Kate, the Observer, that Wilkes wants a dynamic quarterback. I think Wilkes wants a guy that he can trust to not screw it up, and that's what Sam Darnold has done through four games: is he hasn't turned the ball over. He's made the throws that had to be, you know, that, that that have to be made, and he's just commanded this offense. And he took them on the road and won at Seattle, something this franchise doesn't do very often. And so, I think if he goes into Tampa and he wins the game, and I don't care if he's 17 of 25 for 150 yards, but he beats Tom Brady and he leads this team to the playoffs. How do you justify him not being on the roster next year unless you get a Derek Carr? Or you get someone else that is a clear upgrade of that position. Yeah, I mean, he can be on the roster. What I really hope this doesn't do 
is affect the way that they were going to add a quarterback anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he can be a backup. He can even be the bridge guy. I've said it a million times. I, I We have so much more tape of Sam Darnold not being a good QB than we do good tape. And at some point, we can say, okay, solid backup QB. And we can talk about him being a part of these victories. That's great. That's awesome. But even that win that you said he took him up there to Seattle and won, maybe that's what Wes is talking about when Deontay Foreman doesn't get enough credit, right? Like, Sam Darnold did enough. But at the end of the day, on 24 pass attempts, finishes with 14 completions, 120 yards, one touchdown. No interceptions, which is fantastic. But it's not like he's prolific by any means. So if you want to keep him, fine. But it does not need to stop you from getting another quarterback, whether it be in the NFL draft. Here's where it gets a little interesting, though. If Carolina actually does this thing where they beat Tampa Bay and they beat New Orleans and they win the NFC South, you look at the tankathon order of the NFL draft right now, you would swap Carolina and Tampa Bay. Carolina is selecting eight as it currently stands. Tampa Bay is selecting 20th because they're currently in the playoffs. So when you're talking about wild card round losers, projected would be the worst team that makes it, right? So Tampa Bay is currently picking 20th. What QB range does that put you? You're probably talking about Anthony Richardson. I mean, I don't know the type of stock that Hendon Hooker is going to provide now that he got injured. So those are the two QBs that you're looking at. And for a kid, too. Maybe, yeah. You're a little. You're too late for Will Levis, and that probably makes Panthers fans happy. So, if you actually get to twenty, if you're in the top ten, I want to take a swing at a QB. But if you're actually in top twenty now, I mean, yeah, I wonder if Anthony Richardson is a guy. I wonder if you take your pick there. Try to hope that Hendon Hooker is there in the second round. I mean, getting further down in the draft, obviously, it's harder to to game plan for. They're just more teams that are picking players, and then you can't plan for it. At that point, it does get hard. You're still trying to make the playoffs, no doubt about it, but it definitely makes things harder for you to try to figure out who your signal caller is going to be. I still want to draft one. I, I haven't even checked the text line yet. I know people right now are talking about Matt Corral. I, I Look, Matt Corral can deserve a shot. We'll see what he does in training camp. It cannot prohibit you from also acquiring another QB in the draft. No, it cannot. Like you said, you want to play it again for Wes. You played it for me. You want to play it again? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just think that, you know, off of what Fitty said, I just think that the Panthers cannot allow themselves to be lured in. We know what Sam Donald is at this point. I just highly doubt there's going to be a Geno Smith type of renaissance to where he's going to all of a sudden become a difference maker at the position. But what, if, been, but what if that's what's happening? I just, I can't see. I just don't. To you me, would be banking on outliers. Yeah, that's what because be they're playing because because they're playing really safe football with him. And I think that if you go into next season with him, with the expectations, with teams understanding the Panthers' philosophy with a tougher schedule next season because you make the playoffs, so you're playing better defenses, you're playing better quarterbacks, at some point you're going to have to put the game on Donald more than a few times with a tougher schedule next season and those expectations. And I just don't trust him in those spots. If I have to go to a Kansas City and play the Chiefs, which, you know, granted, he's the best quarterback in football, but if I have to go play some of these top-tier quarterbacks and they're shutting down my run game and I say, Sam, you got to throw this thing 38 times because we keep getting down 7, 14, 
I just don't trust him to do it. I just think the old Sam will eventually come back. The turnover machine will return. And then I think they'll be sitting around holding, you know, twiddling their thumbs, just wondering what they can mm-hmm. do at that point. I, I I would not want my franchise to be in that spot. I just want to clarify. I don't want to commit to Darnold for the next three to five years. Right. But even next year, that's what I'm I, I don't have a problem committing to him next year. If, if he leads this team to the playoffs, you cannot justifiably turn this franchise over to Matt Corral or another rookie quarterback. You just can't do it. That'd be disrespectful to him and your fan base. Well, I mean, this guy's doing what you asked Baker Mayfield to do. No, 100%. But we're also asking him to not screw it up. And so when you're talking about handing over the keys, that's fine. You can have Sam Darnold start at the beginning of next year. To be fair, I didn't say that you have to move on from him either, but it can't prohibit you from acquiring another QB is my point. And you keep saying lead, right? Like you're, you keep seemingly by the lead, by taking Carolina up there and winning to me, this is where you're relying heavily on the run game. You're relying heavily on the offensive line. Deontay Foreman, Chuba Hubbard that stepped up. Sam Darnold is a secondary player right now. Like this is if Pat Mahomes, some of these other look, not even to use him as an example, but go to a lot of other quarterbacks in the in the league, they're not secondary players. You're asking them to make huge throws all the time. And if the running game's not working, we have not seen this offense work. Um, see, I disagree with that. Look at that drive he led against Pittsburgh after Pittsburgh came out, went right down the field, made the game 7 nothing. What did Sam okay. Darnold do on the very next drive? He led them on a scoring drive with three third-down conversions. He answered. It wasn't his fault his damn defense couldn't get off the field. Yeah, but he has four touchdown passes in four games and two games where he couldn't oh, complete man. 60% of his passes. Okay, I, just, I can't trust he's not void of pedestrian. Good, he's not void of good drives, but, I mean, goodness gracious, they scored 16 points and the running game wasn't working. I mean, you're right. It wasn't his fault that the defense couldn't get off the field, but it's his fault that they scored 16. It's the running game's fault. And so since we're relying so much on the running game, we know that if that's not working, then we look to Sam, like, what are we, what are we going to get from him? We're going to get at most 250. He threw for the most yards he's thrown for against Detroit, which great game, you know, one touchdown. No interceptions. But the running game was just absurd. But the running game was absolutely prolific. It was actually somewhat historic with two guys running for 100 in the first half. Are they going to Seattle and winning with P.J. Walker? No. They oh, could have. Yes, they, they could have. No, no, no. Dude, they got their ass kicked by Cincinnati. They were not. The scoreboard they was competitive by Baltimore at threw, home. He threw a buck 20 at Seattle. I mean, yes, yeah, he, he threw There's them. a lot of guys you can get to throw a buck 20. Goodness gracious. What did Sam do so well in Seattle? That I mean, He was, managed the offense the way that Steve Wilkes and Ben McAdoo want the offense to be managed. You, you really think? They scored. I, 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 I just don't. Why are we so. We're so easy and we're so quick to to knock this guy down when he plays like ass. But when he's done what we asked him to do, we, oh, well, it's the offensive line. It's the running back. It's the, we don't want to give him any credit. I, I mean, Fiddy, 120 yards and a touchdown. They fine. would not be where they are right now with P.J. Walker. Yeah, it's probably close. I think I think you're right. I mean, to some degree. Say it again. I, but the, the problem is. Say I'm right again. No, I'm not going to do that. But the thing is, especially with you giving me an order. But the, th- the, sa- the same thing, is, I mean, does that mean that we want to give him the keys again because he's better than P.J. Walker? I 
Okay. Dude, you were, you were foaming at the mouth after they beat Tampa Bay. and you Because he gave us a crazy game. It doesn't mean he I He gave us a crazy throw or two. That's what he gave you. Against Tampa Bay? Oh, man, you need to go watch I the tape. I, 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 I watched the tape. I watched Against the game. Against Tampa? Against yeah. Tampa. Against Atlanta, he had... A, a great throw. 100%. A great throw or two against Atlanta. But against Tampa Bay, come on now. I mean, I mean I'm kind of with 50, though. I thought in the Tampa game, I thought he played well, but I thought it was a byproduct of run game work and him hitting on some good reads that were available because of the run game. P.J. Walker had more big-time throws in that game than any quarterback at that point. Like, we, we can give him credit for – we're talking about giving credit here. We can give credit to him for Tampa Bay and still not want P.J. to be the starting QB, which I said at nauseum, that true. we can give him credit and not want him to be the QB of the future. Like, yeah, foaming at the mouth because what we saw was incredible. There, It made no sense. A guy that wasn't supposed to be on the roster that performed that well, there was zero reason to believe that that was going to happen against Tampa Bay, who people still believed in at the time. So, yes, I got made fun of, but it was only for trying to give P.J. credit in that game and still not wanting him to be the QB of the future. Copy and paste. I don't want Sam Darnold to be the QB of the future, but he's been fine for what he's asked to do. And so what he's asked to, to start do next is rely year. on a heavy run game and throw for 120 yards. Who do you want to start next year? A new QB. Okay, that's not an answer. That's not a name. Give me a name. Uh, not Sam Darnold. There's your name. <laughs> I don't want Sam Darnold to start. He, you know what? He can start at the beginning of next year, which is fine. You can't allow this play to prohibit you from still going forward with some solid plan at the QB spot. Getting a new guy. Getting Anthony Richardson. Taking another swing. That's what you have to do if you're the Carolina Panthers. Let's go to Sam Farber, who also has seen a lot of good quarterbacks in his day. Now he's talking about the Charlotte Hornets <laughs> as their voice. It's coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Transitioning from some Carolina Panthers conversation surrounding the quarterback, we'll now go to the Charlotte Hornets who play tonight at the Spectrum Center. Finally, after a six-game West Coast road trip, I'm sure our guest is happy to be back at home. Sam Farber, the voice of the Charlotte Hornets, now joins us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Sam, it's good to have you back. How does it feel to be in the city of Charlotte again? Oh, it is great to be home. Uh, I, I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure what time or day it is at this point after <laughs> all the travel, but it's great to be back here uh, inside Spectrum Center and great to see all of our great fans again as we uh, get ready to ring in a new year. All right, favorite city you visited out west, Sam? Oh, man, you know, I, I grew up on the west coast, so there's a lot of favorites there. I love San Francisco and, and being in L.A. for an extended day uh, while the rest of the country was experiencing some winter weather. Not too shabby, uh, but I'll give it to San Francisco. All right, San Francisco gets the love there. I know, yeah, a lot of people, I, I know Eric Collins was talking about that too, not exactly being thrilled with L.A., San Francisco, some of the northern cities were getting the love out on that West Coast road trip. Speaking of which, they finished 2-4 and four on that road trip, Sam. What are some of the things that you learned watching the Hornets through that 2-4 and four record? Well, I, I think that 2-4 and four really in any year is a solid trip to the West Coast because, you know, generally speaking, you know, you're going to have some back-to-backs in there. Uh, there are some pretty darn good teams that the team faced that had rest. I don't think Charlotte was a favorite in any of them. So I think we saw a little bit more of what we can expect from the Hornets moving forward, and that is that, that a lot of these injuries are behind them now, and, and they should operate more uh, on the, the level that they did the last couple of seasons. 
uh, in terms of getting back towards winning basketball. So even though it wasn't a winning road trip per se, I think this is an indicator that the ship maybe has been righted and there's an opportunity now for the Hornets to get some home cooking and hopefully get this record heading in the right direction. Sam, one thing I was excited about was getting to see the first-round pick, Mark Williams, really make a significant debut. It wasn't technically his debut, but the first time he got legitimate run, I think he had a very big impact defensively, just with the opposing guards driving into the paint and feeling his presence, either throwing up an inaccurate shot, deciding to pass it back out to the perimeter. I liked what I saw from Mark Williams. What did you think of Mark Williams' legitimate debut? I love the kid. I think he was playing within himself. To be sure, you know, an experienced center and Yusuf Nurkic, uh, you know, gave him a pretty good lesson uh, there in the second half against Portland, uh, putting a bunch of fouls on him in pretty quick succession. But, you know, still, these are the kinds of lessons that you need to, to learn on the fly, really, in the NBA. You can only do so much in practice in the G League. At some point, you got to go tangle with some of the best in the world. And I thought the returns for Mark Williams really were really good. Defensively, I think you're spot on. And offensively, too. You know, Mason Plumley and Nick Richards have both had strong seasons statistically. Mark Williams leads the team in field goal percentage right now. I know it's not large enough of a sample size to, you know, establish yourself on the top ten list for the NBA, um, but it's enough to at least open your eyes to the possibilities of what Mark Williams can be. I'm not sure he's going to supplant anyone as the starter just yet, but the early returns are really, really good for this rookie. Sam, so turning the page to the game tonight, and we know the Hornets are still building this roster as far as finding their big three, so to speak, for the future. When you look at this Oklahoma City roster with SGA and Giddy and Dorton and Chet Holmgren when they get him back, do you feel like perhaps the Thunder are a little bit further ahead of the Hornets as far as putting together their roster and their cornerstone players for their future? See, I'm not sure because I, I don't know exactly how this all fits together. You know, SGA has had a, a, a spectacular career statistically speaking. And I remember seeing him as a rookie with the Clippers and being intrigued, but he's never really been a part of a winning team. And they keep shutting him down early uh, to, to get a look at other guys and, and preserve draft position is most people's uh, implication of what they're doing. Josh Giddy has put together some decent stats, but he hasn't really shot the ball that well. And, you know, there's a question, who's the point guard going to be between those two? Can they really play together and play winning basketball? Will they both be a part of the future? Are they going to reset things once again? And with Chet Holmgren, we think he's going to be a star, but we don't know. I mean, we just saw, uh, you know, Mark Williams go head-to-head with James Wiseman, a former number two overall pick. I'm of the opinion, and I wear teal-colored glasses, but I thought Mark Williams looked just as good, if not better, than the former number two overall pick. So I, I, you know, certainly a fan of Chet Holmgren and his skill set and what he brings to the table. But is he going to be a superstar? We don't know. We haven't seen him on the floor yet. And then this point guard matchup tonight, though, staying with that, with SGA, with what he's done, 30, 30-point 30 performance in his last 43 games played, the way he gets to the line, leading the league in free throws, shooting at 92.5% a clip, his 90 clutch points. Is this a guy you feel like that LaMelo would aspire to be like at like his pinnacle? He would be putting up this type of production like SGA, and you can compare and contrast the two if you like. I personally would say no because he's a, he's a different kind of player. I'd say SGA is 
a little bit more to the Trey Young side of the equation. Uh, and that's not a bad thing at all because he is, as you indicated there, an elite, elite scorer. Uh, and he's doing it at a higher level now. And honestly, with more talent around him than he's had in recent years. But it's still a pretty barren Oklahoma City team. Uh, they're looking to him to take and make a lot of shots. And so he's getting more opportunities than LaMelo Ball really generates for himself. And, and that speaks to the unselfishness of LaMelo. Look, if LaMelo wanted to attempt 30 shots a game, he could. He's going to have the ball in his hand each and every possession. Um, but he is such a willing passer, and he knows what's best for this offense is to keep everyone involved. So they're, they're different players. Um, you know, that's part of the reason I, I, I'm kind of questioning what the Thunder are thinking long-term here, because I, I think Josh Giddy needs to be the point guard giving the ball to SGA. I think SGA is more like a Terry Rozier than he is like a LaMelo. Sam Farber is joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can hear Sam Farber on the call later tonight when the Charlotte Hornets take on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Sam, Kelly Oubre is doubtful for this game. He did miss the last contest against Golden State with a left hand sprain. And Steve Clifford kind of told us they'd been dealing with that for a little while. It kind of got jammed earlier this week. What did you notice about his absence, how that affected the Charlotte Hornets, and how do they try to counteract that? Well, there certainly isn't another Kelly Oubre on the roster. There's no one that can come in and necessarily put 20 points on the board as a starter or off the bench. So, you know, there's really no one-to-one replacing Kelly Oubre. But in terms of the impact on the game, I don't know that the Hornets lost because they didn't have bench scoring because I I thought that they did. I thought Jalen McDaniels uh, still had a pretty good game uh, shooting the basketball and, and getting you know points on the board. And, and overall, this team is in a much better position now than it was three weeks ago uh, with all of the injuries. So can you directly replace Kelly Oubre? No, you can't. I mean, he, he will have a chance in these last 40 games of the year to, to make a case to be sixth man of the year, I think, the way he is scoring the basketball. Uh, if the Hornets can string together a lot of wins here and he's coming off the bench and continues to score 20 a night, he'll make that argument. Um, but generally speaking, can they afford to go without him for a game or two? Yeah, I, I think they're in a better position to do that now because a lot of other guys have gotten experience and stepped up to the plate. So, um, you know, one or two games, can they can they survive without him? I, I hope so. I believe so. Um, but long term, you know, we're, we're feeling the impact uh, of not having Kelly out there because he is such a dynamic scorer, particularly off the bench. Sam LaMelo, since the Sacramento game, he played 27 minutes, shot 47% from the floor. But since then, his minutes have gone way up to where he's played 37 minutes, twice 35 and 36 minutes in the other two games. But he hasn't shot over 40%. But in one of those four games, what do you think has been going on with Melo lately? Do you think maybe it's just conditioning, getting back in the swing of things? Or why do you think uh, the shooting numbers have been as tough as they've been over the last four contests? You know, I, I think it's kind of the ebbs and flows, to be honest. I mean, he, he's playing really tremendous basketball. He's on the longest stretch of 20-plus point efforts of his career. Uh, going back to before the injury, uh, it's nine in a row, but in all eight games he's played since returning from injury, he's hit that 20-point threshold. Uh, so he's he's playing at a really high level. Um, you know, I think it's, it's just the way teams are playing him and the Hornets. Uh, LaMelo, if he sees a passing lane, he's going to take it. And if other teams take it away, he's going to you know, fire off some shots here. And he's been hitting it a pretty high clip. I know the 
overall field goal percentage might have dipped slightly. And last game in particular, he didn't shoot the three as well as he had in the preceding seven games. But generally speaking, since he's returned, uh, he's made, I think, on average four threes per game. So I, I like what he's doing. You can always iron out the uh, the shot selection. And, uh, I mean, quite frankly, we're in a different era right now than, than 10, 15 years ago. Some of the shots these guys take now, uh, you would have been benched 15 years ago. Now it's a good three. So it, it's a very different era, and LaMelo has a uh, ability to make shots that, you know, just they're uncanny. There's very few guys in the world that can take them and make them with that kind of consistency, um, but he finds a way to do it. So hopefully the last couple of games, field goal percentage-wise, is just a blip on the radar. Um, but generally speaking, I like the way LaMelo's playing the game offensively right now. All right, Sam, last question before we get you out of here. Tonight's game against the Oklahoma City Thunder, what do you think are the keys to victory for Charlotte? Honestly, I think one of the big keys here is rebounding for this team. Oklahoma City had an injury for their their seven-foot person. He's not a center, Alexei Pokashevsky. Um, But they've been playing kind of centerless basketball. And so the Hornets, with all this size now, with a developing Mark Williams, the chance to get Nick Richards back tonight, certainly with Mason Plumlee and P.J. Washington, you got the chance to hit these guys in the paint and hopefully, um, you know, Exert your dominance down there. Uh, Guard-wise, you know, LaMelo Ball and SGA is going to be the headline matchup, but I think the game is going to be won on the interior here, and the Hornets have some big-time advantages against the Thunder team uh, that drafted a center in Chet Holmgren, but obviously he's not going to be available to play tonight or the rest of the season, so I think that's the area to look for. Also, the sixth man, we've been on the road way too long. I miss the fans. I know the team missed the fans. Home court advantage is real, and hopefully we feel it tonight here at Spectrum Center with uh, the Hornets faithful here to cheer on the team. Yeah, going to be a fun game, a fun matchup between a couple of star point guards in LaMelo Ball and SGA, so would be a fun one to attend tonight at the Spectrum Center for the first time in a long time. And if you can't make it, or you can even do the Steve Bartman thing, you can attend and listen to the radio broadcast by tuning in to 92.7 FM Sports Radio WFNZ. Sam, thanks so much as always, man. Good luck on the call tonight. Appreciate it. Happy New Year to you guys. And, yeah, hopefully the fans come out. This is going to be a great homestand. SGA tonight, Kevin Durant coming up on New Year's Eve, LeBron and John Morant to ring in the new year. you got to come out here to the high. It's going to be a lot of fun. Plus, we might be able to help out some listeners by giving away tickets to see the L.A. Lakers. Yes, getting to see LeBron James at the Spectrum Center January 2nd. We'll be giving away those tickets at the end of this segment. So stick around. We'll talk a little bit more about the Charlotte Hornets, and then we'll give away those tickets again between the Hornets and the Lakers January 2nd. Do you think that the Hornets win tonight? How good do you feel about Charlotte's chances being back at home for the first time in a while? Um, I think they'll be energized to come home and play. Do I think that they will win? Um, oh, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, it's tough because I feel like the Hornets have been battling. They've been scrappy. I'm going to mm-hmm. give them the win tonight. I think okay. they'll come home, be energized to be back in their own bed, local stuff, all that good stuff. So I think that they will come out and get a win. They've been scrappy the last few, so I think they can get one tonight. How much did that help you as a player, staying at home? like doing? The I whole- like the way games better. You did? Why? Yeah, I was kind of I like the hostility. Because you're a different breed. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I like the hostility. I did like, which granted, I mean, wait, let's just keep it real. The home field advantage isn't really there as far as people coming in and having right. to deal with a hostile environment. But I just like just the, the travel, going to the different stadiums, the routine, 
And like I said, I just like the hostility. It was been my favorite ever, even since high school. You know, I, I loved going and quieting a crowd or when you make a big play on the other team's crowd and all you can hear is like the little bit of your fans that are there. So I always enjoy the away games. I so, like that just. Well, and the reason I ask is because there's so many people that go with the getting to sleep in your own mm-hmm. bed, going through the confines of what is a normal routine, how that will help you. I've just always wondered how true that is. I mean, did, did that matter to you? I think for you? a lot of guys, a lot of athletes are routine based. So they like the routine, being at home. And I guess they use, like I said, especially with basketball, the rims, the depth perception of their own stadium. And then, like you say, not sleeping in, which, granted, it always kills me with pro guys when they're, like, sleeping in, you know, hotel beds. But they are sleeping in some pretty nice beds. I mean, they're staying in four oh, yeah. or five-star hotels. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I just think being at home and just the routine of all that kind of gets you into more of a personal rhythm, I guess you could say. But yeah, I like the I like the way games better. But I also didn't play an 82 game schedule where I'm going right. to 41 different cities. No, it's a huge point. I mean, well, not yeah. 41, but you know. No, 100. percent No, it it matters. I mean, that kind of grueling schedule. Plus, you're not playing a lot of local teams, right? You're you're playing with Wake Forest. You're going against NC State, North Carolina, Duke, and you're not traveling too far outside of bowl games, outside right. of some conference where the NBA is traveling all across the country. Same with baseball, even same with the NFL where, yeah, you have your division games, but 16, 17 plus postseason. Now you're discussing traveling to the West coast. Yeah. It gets pretty grueling. I would imagine for some of the professional athletes, when Fiddy was sipping on his sweet tea from Bojangles, he made a face at you when you talked about the depth perception and how it's more comfortable for basketball players staying uh-huh. in their home arena. Why did we get the face expression from one Fiddy while he was sipping his sweet tea from Bojangles? It wasn't about the depth perception. It was about the rim comment. Okay. Because I, I as as a... Right, go ahead. Yep. As Kirk's a legendary league. baller, yep. I never once really, you know, was concerned about the rims. The death perception is definitely like like that's a thing. Like, you know, there's some gyms where you know, like when you're in Cameron, because the way that it's built, it definitely does look a lot different. I did want to ask you, Wes, you played in the in the SEC and the ACC. Where was your favorite place to go on the road and make that opposing crowd shut up? Uh, <laughs> so it, it it kind of coincides with what is the fan base you hate the most, right? Like what is the fan base you've hated the most as far as what they were acting like on game day? Hmm. Okay. Well, some of the places I would pick, we didn't win at. We played very close football games. <laughs> um. Oh. I mean, I, mean nothing- I guess I'll have to say Carolina. But I mean, I mean I- we played there, Florida State. Was fun. We we jumped on them pretty good when we got there. But Bobby Bowden, I forgot what milestone he was getting that day. So that that was gonna be a tough one. So uh, that Florida State and uh, NC State though. NC State's got a very rabid place. Uh, okay, I'll follow up. What environment have you played in that you thought was overrated compared to what you watched growing up on TV? Um, I would say Florida State because really? I thought it was gonna be louder than it was, but it wasn't. It what? wasn't too bad. Was it at night? No, we played. No, it was a it was a twelve o'clocker. So it was it was so hot. What did, did you hate? Twelve o'clock games. I mean, we're peppering with questions um, now. Twelve o'clock. The routine you do have to get up earlier because you're getting up at like seven thirty. Yeah, and then you have to eat, and then you're hanging out stuff like that. So no, I did like a three thirty. So you yeah, the night games, the night, night the, games the, were cool too. The prime time games, those were fun, but then three thirty a little bit better. And plus for the tailgaters. 
I mean, you don't have to wake up as early and then get it going with the alcohol yeah. at 730. <laughs> yeah, they got more time to get sauced by 330 or 7 or 8 o'clock. You're starting to feel good, and then you have the more rabid <laughs> fan base. Absolutely. I don't know how people do it, though, man. It's as hot as some of these games are. They're just out there drinking. like. Well, for the first ever Ooh. Charlotte game, well, I no, not the first ever one, but a couple of them. I mean, yeah, you, you started so early. You started at 12, and you got to get going. Absolutely, I took part in a lot of the mimosas that you'd bring, a lot of champagne sipping. Absolutely, because you had to get something with the breakfast going. I mean, and then you just bring well, bougie Walker. Well, we're not, here for it. Not bougie. I mean, we're drinking out of red solo cups. Those those mimosas. <laughs> oh, a mimosa and a red solo. And then and then I would switch it up to Bush Light. Far okay. from being bu- right. bougie, because you would have to drink the trash beer in college. I mean, I'm not going to pay for anything other than some light beer tailgating for some of those football games. Right. A hundred percent. A lot of fun. Um, but yeah, 3.30, that would help out a lot. So you wouldn't have to start doing that at eight o'clock in the morning. Last Fitty Flash of the day. What you got, man? This one's going to be a little off the wall, but I thought the storyline was very interesting. I want to get you guys' opinion. The Chicago Bears are in need of a new president and CEO to uh, of their franchise. And one of their strong candidates is current Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. Uh, supposedly multiple calls to Warren and the Big Ten by the Bears have not been returned, but the Bears are very interested in him. This is a guy that has really helped bring the Big Ten to the even playing field with the SEC from a financial footing, both in football and basketball. This would be a non-traditional hire, if you will, but what do you guys think of this off-the-wall type of hire we could see the uh, the Bears make to come run their football franchise? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I don't know what it would mean for him to build a team, right? This is an off-the-wall type of hire. I do know during the pandemic and during the big moves that the Big Ten was making, it seemed like a commissioner we were talking about more than all of the other college commissioners. Now, you did have Greg Sankey. You were talking about him quite a bit, as you always are with the SEC. ACC, the transition, the changing of the guard, we got to that a little bit. I just felt like we were talking about Warren all the time during the pandemic with some of the rules after you had him come over and take charge. So ultimately... From a financial standpoint, I have to imagine it would make a lot of sense. I just don't know what he can do as far as building a football team. Well, I don't think it would be foreign to him because he was previously the COO of the Minnesota Vikings. He was the first African-American chief operating officer of an NFL team. So I guess he'd be going back to uh, something he's familiar with, by the way. If I were him, I would probably want to stay as the Big Ten commissioner. But we'll see. Like I said, I mean, he's got the experience to go in there and do it. We'll see exactly how that story unfolds would be another out-of-the-box hire in the NFL. What's on tap? What happened on this day in sports history? We'll get to all of that in the final segment, but not before we give away Hornets and Lakers tickets. We're going to do the third caller, Hornets and Lakers. They're going to be playing on January 2nd at the Spectrum Center, 704-570-9610. That's the number to dial to get a pair of tickets to come see LeBron James play the Charlotte Hornets. Again, 704 570 10. That's the number to dial. And if you're the third caller, you can win a pair of tickets to see the Hornets play the Lakers at the Spectrum Center. Last segment coming up, Sports Radio 92.7 FM.
segment of Wes and Walker. Congratulations to Caleb for winning the tickets to go see LeBron James come to town. Have either of you, I'm sure you did, you saw LeBron James play live, right? You got to see him play once? I have seen him play. What was it? Was it last year? No, it was it was a while back. Okay. Um, I think he was, I think it was Cleveland. So, oh man, so it's a long time. Yeah, since it was you've a seen minute. It. Yeah. yeah, so I getting to see LeBron. Well, what's great about getting to see LeBron in Charlotte is you're always going to see his best because he wants to destroy Michael Jordan's basketball team. And what he does is always, at least in Charlotte, destroy Michael Jordan's basketball team. Did not happen in the most recent game they played. Mm-hmm. So the Charlotte Hornets actually got that victory. You had a Zion Williamson moment with the LeBron shoe that came off during one of the final possessions in that one. But when he comes to Charlotte, usually he beats down. Now, I, I wonder if that's going to happen, right? Like, I still remember this, the dunk when he looked at Mike like, yes. the whole way. <laughs> does that make you angrier than, I mean, where does that rank in some of your angry, just individual sports plays? LeBron James looking at Michael Jordan, him sitting courtside, breakaway, all the way cocked back, slamming it, <laughs> giving him a beam of stare. It was just, it was LeBron admitting to himself, I know I'll never be as good as you, but I want you to watch me dunk the basketball. The guy, the guy's one of the biggest jabronis to be at the level that he is. He is so, he is so sensitive and so fragile minded. Okay. That is just utterly hilarious that he allows other people's opinion to affect him the way that he does. And he wants to always be in drive of the platform and, 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 and the, the way the conversation should be. I mean, it's, 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 it's remarkable that he controls the narrative the way that he does. Mm-hmm. It just shows how insecure of a, of a player he really is. <laughs> All right. Well, you get to go see that guy on January 2nd, Caleb. Congratulations to you. <laughs> and uh, hopefully we can give out some more tickets later on as well. We've been doing that a lot this season. Appreciate the Hornets helping us out. It's a lot of fun to go over there and see LaMelo now that you have some guys coming back. You going tonight? Getting to see the star. Got Queens game, baby. Played Austin P. starting conference play. The Royals, such a fun basketball team themselves. Getting to see stars like Kenny Dye, Gavin Raines, gobble up offensive rebounds at the best rate in the nation. That's right. I said nation. Now, Queens basketball is a lot of fun, though. Should be a royal experience tonight. It's going to be. It's going to be a royal experience. With that, we'll visit What's on Tap. What's on Tap is brought to you by Twin Peaks. You can join our e-club to stay up to date on all things Twin Peaks and score free stuff. Visit TwinPeaksRestaurant.com slash Peaks dash club. We got Wes's opinion on what will happen tonight. Of course, the Hornets Thunder, 7 p.m. Spectrum Center. Either go to it or listen to it right here on Sports Radio 92.7 FM. Do you think the Hornets win against OKC, Mr. Fitty? I think they do because I like the brand of basketball, especially on offense that they've played. I think we're going to get another tirade from Steve Clifford if this bad defense continues at home because it was very poor away from home. I wanted to ask you when you asked Westus, as a guy that is first off a fan of the team, but then covers the team, at what point do you want them to not win? Or or, or are you already there? Um, Yeah, that's a great point. I Thank you. I, because everything against me, like you're a fan because you want to see your team win, right? That's ultimately the experience that is innately a part of who you are play to win the game. And yet I understand playing to win the championship probably doesn't involve them winning too many more games here. I'm not pulling for them to lose. I'm really riding the wave, to be honest with you. It does not directly answer your question, but I'm scared to answer it. I'm just riding the wave. If they win, great. My team won. If they lose, great. Better shot at Wimby, and we'll see what can happen for Scoot. Even if you miss out on those two guys, this draft class is 
crazy. Pretty there good. are so many good prospects coming out. So, yeah, it's a tough question, to be honest with you. It does change my mind, though, about how they should operate towards the trade deadline. And that's the really interesting conversation as we go forward. February 9th is when the NBA trade deadline is here. So we'll see exactly how they operate. We'll quickly, uh, real quickly, just a matchup I want to watch. Not necessarily LaMelo Ball versus SGA. I'm interested seeing SGA versus Mark Williams. So Hornets don't have a rim-protecting center until they bring Mark Williams into the game. The guy's been playing 16, 18 minutes. SGA, as we see from the free throw attempts, as good an attacking guard as there is in the NBA. Can Mark Williams stay out of foul trouble? Can Mark Williams alter some of those shots at the rim that Shea Gilgis Alexander is inevitably going to get? Can you throw him off of some of those easy shots because you have a higher standing reach than everyone else? Very interested to see how first round pick that's been playing well is going to operate against an MVP candidate that attacks the rim as well as anybody else in the NBA. Going to be a fun matchup there um, to watch tonight. All right, Fiddy, what happened on this day in sports history? Well, Walker, on this day in 1934, the first regular season college basketball game was played at Madison Square Garden in New York City. NYU defeated Notre Dame 25-18. to 18. Okay. I mean, is Notre Dame not just the most famous school ever? They always seem to be in some type of historic moment in time. If Fiddy goes back to, let's say, anywhere before 1940, I'm going to assume (laughs) it's a Yankees bite or a Notre Dame bite. Like, maybe Red Sox, some of the historic baseball teams, but Notre Dame, they're going to be referenced probably 40% of the time. And yesterday on that day in sports history, we had the first team to go winless in a 16-game season. Well, on this day in 2007, the Patriots became the first NFL team in 35 years to finish the regular season undefeated when they beat the Giants 38-35. to Did you guys think they were going to go undefeated and win the Super Bowl? Yeah, absolutely. I, I did. did, too, and I was so mad that they lost because Randy Moss was on that team. Randy Moss is my favorite player. We know how I feel about Tom Brady, so I was heated they lost that game, and I wanted to see history. That's something you can tell your grandkids. Were you, you always said- a Brady fan? Uh, I started to really like him. Really, it was around that season because I love the pettiness that he had, especially when the Pittsburgh safety talked trash to him. He threw the touchdown, ran down, and talked trash to him and stuff. And I was like, man, I love this guy, man. Like, I was so happy that New England lost. I was thrilled that the Giants beat him both times that they played in the Super Bowl, especially this one. And I, I, it's probably my most hated athlete growing up. Him and whatever Duke player, Shane Battier, couldn't stand. They were so fun to watch because I'm such an offensive guy. And just to watch them obliterate people every single week. And the pettiness because everybody was on them because of the whole cheating thing. I was loving it. They they were destroying everyone, but not the New York Giants. The (laughs) fact that they got a couple Super Bowls, it's ridiculous against Tom Brady and company. All right, that'll do it for Wes and Walker. Keep it right here. The Kyle Bailey Show up next. Mm. 